Thank you, Pastor or Brother Tim. Thank you for that uh, prayer of supplication. And uh, thank you, Pastor Mark, for leading us in our singing and Amy for playing. And, um, and I'm grateful again to all of our guests who've come this morning to be with us and share in our time of worship. And church family, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to serve the Lord and to be available to, to the Lord and uh, in a variety of ways and ministering not only here within the body of Christ, but as you go out into the community and as the community comes to us. Thank you for having open and receptive hearts to share the love of Christ. This morning, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn back into the Old Testament to the book of Ruth. A couple Sundays ago, I initiated this this uh, um, series of messages in the book of Ruth, a beautiful book. I think you'll see as we continue to progress along. And the message this morning, taken from chapter 1, well, consists of three primary parts. First of all, we'll do a little bit of recap uh, as we look at, uh, kind of summarize again some things we touched on before, just to refresh our memory. And then also, in addition to a, a brief recap, we'll do, we'll focus on the subject of repentance. Something that so often we uh, think about or maybe talk about, but I wonder if we really understand the concept. And, and, and there is an element in this beautiful uh, book, in this chapter, on repentance. And then we'll hopefully finish up focusing on a, a reunion. So in chapter 1, you'll look with me beginning in verse 1 as I recap just some of the things we looked at earlier, just to kind of uh, refresh your memory. It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And let me just stop there for a second because there in verse 1 it talks about there's a famine in the land. And I think it would be easy for us to you know, go back into the context of the book of Judges and knowing how Israel was in and out of obedience to God and faithfulness to God, obeying God, but then rebelling against God. And, and certainly they were not in a position of, of having the favor of God. You could almost surmise that the, the famine comes as judgment from the Lord. But be careful that we don't put too much into what the Word says. It doesn't say that God is judging them by bringing this famine. It simply says... That during this period of time, when everybody, as the Bible says in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Kind of like in the United States of America today. And so it would be easy to say, yeah, God's judging them with a famine. That may be the case, but we don't know for sure. But anyways, we look further in verse 2. It gives us a description of this family. Um, I think of them as the Old Testament version of the Colhanes from Cornfield County as you see, in, in Hee Haw. And I realize I date myself and some of the younger people are saying, who, he, what? But anyway, uh, they were the ones that sang gloom, despair, excessive misery. Okay? Yeah, yeah, this family. The, the name of the man was Elimelech. Interestingly enough, his name, as you may recall, meant my God is king. Hang on to that thought. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, which means pleasant. And uh, we also, Dr. J. Vernon McGee said, uh, Mary Sunshine. They had, uh, and, and then the names of his two sons were Maclon, uh, which means uh, unhealthy, sickly, if you will. And then his other son, uh, Kilion, um, which means puny. So there he goes 
God is my king, sunshine, and sickly, and puny, down to the country that we determined last week from the scripture, Moab, which was God's garbage can. So things just aren't looking that well. So as we look at the story's sad beginning, and there's Elimelech, you know, and, and I believe that what we see happening in the life of this Jewish man is, is basically a faith failure. And, you know, don't sit back smugly and look pious and think, well, that'll never happen to me. Yes, it has. We all have faith failures. Times when we don't exercise the faith that God has given to us. Times when we will revert to our own judgment and our own strength and try to do things in our own way. Instead of walking by faith, as the scripture says. So you may say that Elimelech, he's entering into this regretful faith failure. He's trusting in his own design. He's trusting in his own way. He's, he's in essence, ignoring the Lord. And the scripture talks about, you know, when things are tough, when we face trials and tribulations, what we need to do is trust in the Lord. I think about Psalm 37, verse 7, where the, the psalmist says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently upon him. Do not fret because of the man who prospers in his way, just because somebody else has got it better than you, even if they're a Christian or not. You don't need to fret. Don't fret because of the man that prospers in his way. Don't fret because of the wicked man who brings wicked schemes. But rest in the Lord and wait patiently upon him. Elimelech wasn't doing that. Not only that, we know in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the Lord tells us, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. When things go wrong, when there's trials and tribulations and hardships, don't try to figure it all out yourself and reason it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. See, the Scripture is full of these wonderful admonitions to tell us that in times where things are bad, don't go rushing off like Chicken Little and try to figure out, you know, if the sky is falling or not. But wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. I love that passage in Isaiah 40, 31 that reminds us those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So much in the word of God that just tells God's people to just, you know, calm down. Get a grip. Hold on to God. Wait, rest, trust in the Lord. Elimelech didn't do that. Took off, packed up his family, headed down to Moab because he thought maybe he could do better. Folks, when you get out of God's will... And out of God's design. And you begin to distance yourself spiritually from the Lord in times of trouble. Watch out. You're vulnerable. Watch out. The solution's not out there in the world. It's not out there in our peer groups. It's not out there in, in pop psychology. The solution is staying put. And stay close to the Lord. So Elimelech's regretful faith failure, unfortunately... Leaves his wife, Naomi, Miss Sunshine, in dire circumstances. Because the scripture goes on to tell us that as they were there in um, the country of Moab, it says, um, Elimelech, verse 3, Naomi's husband died. So he really didn't have a good journey after all. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left. And her two, two sons. 
Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Machon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So you see Naomi's dire circumstances. Number one, as I pointed out in the previous message, she's a widow, which even in the Jewish culture is a bad circumstance to be in, a bad situation to be in, to be a widow and not have any means of, of, of support, be separated and estranged from your family. But she's a widow in a foreign land, has no rights. And there's no opportunities for her to take care of herself. Well, you said, well, she's got two sons. Well, then they died too. So she's not only a widow, but she is a widow who has no uh, children and, and therefore no grandchildren. And so she's a widow with two barren daughter-in-laws. So Naomi's situation is dire at, at the very least to say. So in the midst of this now, as we move further in verse 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return to the country, or return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people back in Judah, Bethlehem, and given them bread. In other words, the, the famine had ended. I think it's interesting, there's no reference in the scripture whatsoever that the nation of Israel called out to God and repented, turned back to God. God was doing this as an act of grace and mercy to the people of Israel. That's the nature of our God. You know, God extends grace to us even before we call upon his name. God extends grace to you and me even when we were in our sins. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8 it tells us that, you know, that God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. God doesn't wait for us to prove ourselves, to extend his grace. He didn't wait for Israel to get their act together. He simply extended grace and began to provide food. This got to, this news got to Naomi. And so now she and her daughter-in-laws are heading back. But as we watch there, in verse 7, Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And, and what I want you to see now as we leave the recap, and we're moving now to what is a wonderful lesson. Now I know we covered this in the previous message, but we didn't really stop and put the plow down. I'm speaking farmer language here. Sometimes you can go over the land and kind of scratch the surface and just kind of make it look like it's plowed, but sometimes farmers have to really get the plow deep into the ground, deep into the soil, and, and pull up the nutrients that have, that, that have been buried down underneath so that the, the soil will be more fertile. And so we're kind of dropping the spiritual plow down at this portion here as we look at in contrast to the dire circumstances of Naomi and her, and her bitter, if you will, pessimistic outlook on things, and you'll see that unfold, you'll see God blossoming a, a beautiful bud of, of spiritual life in the Moabite woman known as Ruth. Because I believe as we watch what transpires in these next verses, and as we begin to look at the person of Ruth, you're going to see 
that she is the central focus, hence the name of the book. God is working in the life of a pagan woman to teach us a valuable lesson about the concept of repentance. And I hope you'll see this as we move further. So, as, as Naomi is preparing to head back to Judah to take her two daughter-in-laws back, it says in verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return to each to her own mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So Naomi has a change of heart. Instead of taking the two pagan daughter-in-laws back to Judah, she's probably thinking, these girls are in for a hard time. They'll never be received back in, in Judah amongst the Jewish people. So she's trying to do them a favor and she's politely suggesting that they go on back and that God might bless them in the household of their mother. In verse 9, and she says, The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she's even thinking that there's a good possibility. They're still young. They'll be single. They can get remarried. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. This was not an easy thing. Because after all, they've been with their mother-in-law for some 10 years now. Even though the circumstances were pretty pessimistic. And in verse 10, they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi's getting a little firmer now in verse 11. She's not just being polite now. She's almost getting to the point she's commanding them now. This is more imperative. Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? She's reasoning with them. Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? At this point, she's at least 50 years old. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I'm too old to have a husband. If I, should have, if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. For it grieves me. Now listen to her perspective on God. For it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She has not at this point mentioned anything about what she and her family have done to disobey God. And so there's no sense of guilt, no sense of confession, no sense of repentance. So it's all God's fault. You never do that, do you? When things go bad and, you know, and the skies are dark and things are crashing in and seas of waves of the sea of life come against you and crash in on you. It's just, you don't ever blame God, do you? Just, Naomi didn't have a problem with that. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And in verse 15, and she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, which would be the god of, by the name of Chemosh, which is the primary god, not the only god of the Moabites, but, but the primary god. She's going back. She's going back. She's turning back. Return after your sister-in-law. So now I want you to stop for a second because I want you to see Ruth's radical declaration which I think exhibits the essence of repentance. Watch. 
Because repentance involves turning. The Greek word for, for, for repentance is metanoia, and it means to, to turn, have a radical change of mind, and to change. And we'll look at that. And I want you to see this demonstration. Because there in verses 14 and 15, you'll see that her sister-in-law has, has listened to the mother-in-law, Naomi, and, and, and Orpah is going back home. She's going back to her family. She's going back to familiar surroundings. She's going back to a familiar culture. She's going back to familiar gods. And start her life over. Now, this would have been very tempting for Ruth to say, okay, I think I'll do that too. That makes sense. But you see, Ruth couldn't. She couldn't. Because something wonderfully radical had occurred in her life. And it had to do with repentance. A turning had occurred in her. I think about the Apostle Peter. When you talk about a person who, who grasped the essence of repentance and turning, I think about when Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 15, or 19, where Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And of course they were answering Jesus. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some Jeremiah. Some the other prophets. And then Jesus asked the pointed question. And ladies and gentlemen, whether you realize it or not, in our journey of faith and in our relationship with God, we all have to ask this same question. Who, is, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus Christ to you? And of course, we know Peter's wonderful and inspired. I say inspired because it came from heaven when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. No doubt about it. And we see that confession of faith, you see, because something radical had happened in this former fisherman that turned him and turned his whole life's view and viewpoint and worldview Upside down. Because in John's gospel, chapter 6, when Jesus sees this multitude of people who are following after him, and they love the miracles, the feeding, you know, the 5,000. They love seeing the demons cast out. They love seeing, oh, it was entertainment. It was attractionalism at its best. Jesus had a multitude of people following him who called themselves followers of Christ. But then the Lord began to talk hard to them and made it clear that you can't have a relationship with the Son of God unless you are willing to actually consume Him by faith. You can't just be loosely affiliated with Him. He's got to become the Lord of your life. He's got to become your very life. He has to live within you like if you consume His flesh, Jesus said, and drink His blood, you've got to become Christ in you. And boy, that blew the minds of the multitudes. They said, whoa, that's hard talk. We, ain't, we can't understand that. Hey, this is getting too deep. He's not feeding us bread anymore and fish and, and showing us miracles. He's talking deep spiritual stuff. I, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to the church that has the big band down there, you know, and where they just give little sermonettes and yeah, easy stuff. Now, this, this deep stuff is not, I'm, I'm out of here. 
And the vast majority of the people following Jesus at that point turned and left. I love this passage in John 6 because it reveals the, the dynamic change that occurred in the Apostle Peter and how serious his confession that we talked about in Matthew 13 was. Hey, listen, there, it wasn't just a nice little spiritual religious expression Peter, when Jesus turned to the disciples, when all the multitude were leaving, and there's the twelve, and Jesus said to them, there in John chapter 6, and Jesus said to them in verse 67, do you also want to go away? Like Naomi said, Ruth, don't you want to go on back home? I mean, after all, Orpah's going on back. Honey, don't, don't, you want to, don't you want to go on back where you're comfortable and familiar and life, the prospects are much better for you? Don't, don't you want to go on back home? Jesus said to his disciples, hey, there was their out. Don't you also want to leave? Don't you want to turn and go back? But you see, something had happened that had changed the lives of these men forever and eternity. And this is when Peter said to the Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you ever come to a point where the Spirit of God brings you to that reality of faith and it absolutely changes your mind radically and you do a 180 degree turn from heading in the direction that you were going and I was going towards sin and, 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 and judgment and come back and the lights go on in your soul and you see Jesus for who he is. You're like Peter. You said, where else can I go? Where as can I go, Lord? You're all my life. You say, well, why are you telling us about Peter to talk about Ruth? Because hold on to Peter's response to Jesus. And, and listen to this Moabite girl, Ruth. Because you'll see, I believe, a clear demonstration that she has repented of her sinfulness and her background and she's turned to God. Because when Naomi said to her, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people, to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. Look at verse 16. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. In other words, please don't ask me to leave you. Don't mention it again. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I, I, will I be buried? The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. Now let me break down what Ruth says and I want you to see the evidence of genuine repentance 
in her. Because there is in these verses, in her response to her mother-in-law, a, a bold declaration, first of all, demonstrating her spiritual conversion. Number one, she changed the direction of her life. Wherever you go, Naomi, I'm going. I'm going in the same direction. She knew that Naomi was a believer of the true God, Jehovah. And she knew that wherever Naomi traveled in her life, she was traveling in the grace of this marvelous God of the Jews. And she says, wherever you go, there's where I want to be. True repentance involves a change of direction. As I said, we're all headed in the direction of sin and condemnation, damnation, judgment, eternal death. We're all headed in that direction. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person ever born is headed in that direction. Repentance changes the direction of our life, spiritually. We're headed in the direction of the Lord. And Jesus told those prospective disciples in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, who came to him and said, Lord, uh, I'll follow you anywhere. But, you know, let me go do this. Let me go back and tell everybody goodbye. Let me go back and bury my dad, my, my, my father. And, you know, and, 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 and Jesus said, hold it, time out, time out. Kind of. Sounds like my grandson Asher. <laughs> said, time out. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Once you put your hand to the plow, anybody looking back is unworthy. Once we repent, we don't look back. Ruth didn't want to look back to Moab. She had it in her mind that once she had made the commitment to put her hands to the plow of being one of the people of God, she was going in the same direction with Naomi. Not only did she change the direction of her life, but she changed her identity forever. Because she goes on to say, wherever you lodge, I will lodge. In other words, she's saying to her mother-in-law, her Jewish mother-in-law, I am a part of your household and will always be a, a part of your household. I'm not a Moabite anymore. My household is not my mother's household anymore. It can't be because God is my God. And therefore, I will be with you. I will change into the household of God. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the wonderful transformation that comes over us as believers in Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 19, listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul says in verse uh, 19. And this is, this is the change of our uh, household, if you will, our identity. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 19 of Ephesians, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You may, not, you may not want to admit or confess that there was a time in your life and in my life that we were strangers to God. We were foreigners to Him. And yet through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the grace of God and the faith that he's given to us, we have been taken from being strangers and, and being enemies. And he has not only forgiven us of our sins, but by the wonderful, amazing grace of God, he has made us, just as he said there, we're members of the household of God. We're children of God. Repentance brings about that change. Not only that, but Ruth goes on to say, 
that your people are my people. She enters into a covenantal community of faith. The Jewish people were a people of covenant. Unlike the gods, uh, the false gods of the pagan nations, the pagan gods were territorial. Once you left out of the territory of, of Moab, you were leaving Chemosh's territory. You were going into the territory of another god. And you go to another god and another god. Not so with the god of the Jews. Because you notice that, that Naomi continued to talk about her god, extending rights and doing blessings right there in Moab. God's not limited. The true, the true God is the God of all the universe. He is a God of covenant. So wherever we go, we are, as believers in, in Jesus Christ are under that covenant. Wherever we go, Ruth said that I want to be, a, I am a part of your people now. I'm a part of this covenant that has been given to your people through Abraham. Repentance brings her to that point. Repentance brings Ruth to embrace the true living God. She goes on to say, and your God will be my God. Your God's Jehovah, my God's Jehovah. And you see, that's interesting because Orpah, her other sister-in-law, went back to her gods. Because what we see here is there was no evidence that Orpah ever repented. There's no evidence, even though for 10 years she lived with her mother and mother-in-law and, and maybe professed to be a believer in Jehovah, but when it all came down to that point of decision, the evidence was she was not. She could turn back. She could go back to her culture. She could go back to her people. She could go back to her false gods because she was never truly repentant. On the other hand, Ruth could not. She couldn't go back. She had to go along with her mother-in-law. So this, she's embracing the true living God. She claims the hope of Israel. She claims the hope of the Jewish people. What was the hope of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Even Joseph, as the story goes. Remember, Abraham bought a, bought a plot of land at, where there was a particular cave and there's where he had his wife Sarah buried and then later Abraham was buried in the promised land later you remember Israel uh, uh, Isaac buried in the promised land even Jacob after he journeyed down to, to Egypt insisted they take him back and be buried in the promised land Joseph said when you leave this land take my bones with you Back to the promised land. What was the hope of the Jews? The Jews believed that there was life after death. That God had promised them. Job declared that in the oldest book of the Bible. He knew that somehow, someway, even after he died, he would see God in his own flesh. That God would resurrect him. Abraham believed that there was resurrection after he died. So did Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And that it was important for them to be buried back in the promised land because the resurrection, the hope of Abraham was when you died, God one day was going to resurrect all of his people there in the promised land. And so when Ruth says, wherever you die, that's where I'm going to die. Wherever you're buried, that's where I'm going to be buried. Because, you see, her repentance had brought her to understand 
that unlike the fatalistic Moabites, she realized that the God of the Jews promised life after death. And wherever you were, if you're buried in the promised land, you are going to be a part of that glorious resurrection. Oh, listen, when Ruth turned, there was a radical turn in her whole mindset, her whole worldview, and the outlook of her life. Ruth expresses the seriousness of this commitment. It wasn't just a flippant decision. It wasn't something she was just saying to pacify her mother-in-law. Oh no, because right there at the end, she said, the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts you and me. She said, Mama, Mama Naomi, listen, I am serious about this. May God strike me down, may he deal with me harshly if I ever, ever leave you. That's pretty serious business. I think this is why this passage sometimes is extracted and, and, and placed in wedding ceremonies. Because it talks about a covenant of love that says nothing will part us. Nothing, not even death. And so, or anything but death. So, as we look at Ruth's repentance, understand that here's a beautiful pattern. Authentic repentance is a prerequisite to genuine salvation. Why do I say that? Because there's a phenomena that has infiltrated our culture in religious life called cultural Christianity. And what they have done is they have watered down God's expectation for his people so as to make Christianity more palatable and more acceptable and easier for people. Instead of the, the requirements of faith and commitment and true repentance, the, this easy believism is steeped in empty emotionalism. It's all about emotions and superficial expressions. You know, if you hear a message or you're at a crusade or, or something and you get stirred in your emotions and you, and you go forth and, and if you're crying a lot and, and you're very emotional and you say, oh, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Here, sign this card, honey. Get yourself baptized and you're on your way. Folks, I'm sorry. That is not authentic biblical Christianity. There are tears here in this story. In, in verse 9 and verse 14, it tells us that both Orpah and Ruth both wept profusely. They, they shed a lot of tears. But let me tell you something. The tears, they may impress and touch the heart, but God's looking beyond the tears. Both women cried profusely. They, they wept bitterly, but only one followed Naomi. It was the one who had experienced repentance. It was the one who had, had, had engaged the true and living God. Oprah, she cried a lot, but she went back. Why do you, why, why do you say, Pastor, you say, why, why are you pointing that out? Because there was a time in the life of the contemporary church, Baptist life, where if a person came down to aisle, they were weeping and crying, and they were saying, I'm a, oh, I'm so sorry for my sins, and I want to follow Jesus, and, and hallelujah, everybody get excited and say, oh, truly, this person is born again. And I've seen them, and you've seen them too. After the tears dry up, after a couple of Sundays of church, poof, the magical disappearing act. For you know what, they're out there in the honky-tonks and going back to their old lifestyle and they're just as mean and, 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 and evil as they ever were. Tears don't save you. The blood of Jesus Christ having gone through the process of authentic salvation 
And let me tell you what the process is. It's conviction. It's confession. It's repentance. And it's commitment. Conviction. Confession. Repentance. Commitment. Number one, you don't find Christ. You don't go choosing Christ. He chooses us. That's what he's heard. He says, no one comes to me except the Father draw them. How does God the Father draw us to Christ? He does it by the power of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicted my heart. The Holy Spirit convicted your heart one day that you were a sinner. That you were hell bound. That you were under the judgment of God. And you came under conviction. You didn't do that. Not even the, the fiery preaching of a preacher and the emotional music of a choir. No, it was the Holy Spirit brings true conviction. And what happens after that true conviction? You better be ready to confess. And that simply means to agree with God. To say, yes, Lord, what you're convicting me of and from your word, I believe it. I agree with it. I am a sinner. I am unworthy. I don't deserve your grace. And on the heels of confession is repentance. Is this where you're getting serious with God? After you agree with the Lord that there's certainly a lot wrong in your life, you're missing out on the mark, then repentance says, I turn. I turn from the sin of my old life, sinful attitudes, sinful relationships, sinful actions, sinful practices, and I'm turning to Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Turning my life over to him. And when we turn. You're ready to make a commitment then. Remember I talked about this several weeks ago. In another message on real Christianity. Commitment. Jesus says if any man come after me. Luke 9.23. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. And follow me. If you've never made that kind of com commitment to Jesus Christ, having been convicted in your heart of your sins, confessed your sins, and repented and turned back to the Lord, and made that commitment, then you need to do what Paul says, examine yourself to see if indeed you are truly in the faith. But this has all happened. Ruth was convicted that she, she was a Moabite. She was outside of the will of the true God. Ruth had confessed that to, the, to God. She had turned back to God. She's demonstrating her, the seriousness of her, her turning towards God with the commitment she's making to Naomi. She's not saying, I'll go try it. I'll give it a shot. I'll see what this Judaism is about. When she walked out of Moab, there's no evidence in the scriptures whatsoever that she ever walked back over into Moab. She was... All the way for the Lord. I believe that was the salvation experience of the woman we know as Ruth. You know, we just had the North Carolina Baptist State Convention over in Greensboro. And what a wonderful experience it was. We had a theme of return to me. That's what God is calling. He's calling lost people that he has chosen to be a part of his eternal family. God is saying, return to me. Come out of the darkness of a life dominated by the devil and sin and the flesh and the world. Return to me where you'll find life and hope. 
God is saying to Christians who have allowed themselves to backslide and get back involved in things that they should not, who've lost their zeal and love for the Lord and have become complacent to the things of the Spirit, who are not actively involved in serving in the church and carrying out the responsibilities of a follower of Christ, God is saying mercifully and through grace, return to me, Zechariah 1.3. And God says, I'll return to you. Well, Ruth was returning to God, no doubt about it. Friend, let me tell you something. There can be no right relationship with God where there's no repentance. There can be no right relationship with God where there's no repentance. Finally, I want to look at the reunion I call the bitter homecoming. We'll touch on this briefly. Look with me in verse 19. Because when Ruth, when Naomi in verse 18 saw that Ruth wasn't going to change her mind, this girl's serious, she stopped speaking. She said... She's serious. No change in her mind. You know, I'm not saying that Naomi was the devil or any kind of a personification of the devil. But you know, when you make a commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been convicted and you confess and you repent and you make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ for the rest of your life no matter what the circumstances may be, you know what? I believe even the devil, like Naomi, He's going to stop badgering you. I mean, he won't stop tempting you. But, but the devil gets to a point where he realizes, good gracious. Oh, Charlie's serious. <laughs> I, may, I may as well give up. He's given his life to Christ. He's made a commitment. He's repented. He's turned 180 degrees. He's going out to Christ. He's following out to, I might as well go out to somebody else. Wouldn't well, that be a great thing to know? Verse 19, now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem. And, and by the way, this is not just across the street. This is a journey of about 60, 70 miles. You're not talking about by taxi or, or Uber driver or nothing like that. Uh, you know, 60 to 75 miles. It took probably 7 to 10 days. Not just even ground. Down through some very deep valleys, up on top of some high mountains and steep hills. Two women, you know, grieving. But eventually they show up in Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem, or had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited. I'd, I'd like to maybe say stirred up. And, and the reason they're, 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 so they're excited, because it says, because of them. Because it's been over 10 years since Naomi has been back to Bethlehem. And people probably heard about her tragedies and what have you. But just imagine, you know, they're all going about their business in Bethlehem and poof, there comes Naomi. Ha! Naomi! And a stranger. And everybody's talking and whispering and, you know, how things go like that. So there's a, they're, they're surprised with her abrupt arrival after over 10 years. But I believe they're shocked by her haggard condition and appearance. Because... With all that Naomi's gone through, losing her husband, losing her sons, being in a foreign land, you know, having two barren daughter-in-laws, and you know, she's, she's probably looking angry and kind of scowl, and, and, and her countenance has fallen. So some of the stir, some of the shock is they see pleasant, Miss Pleasant, Mary Sunshine, and she's coming back to looking like she just ate three lemons and a sour pickle. And her hair is out of place. And I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, this Naomi? Sunshine? 
And she's looking like the wicked witch of the West. So we, the response of the people says something. But then, listen to Naomi's response. After, after the women said, is this Naomi? Verse 20. So she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Pleasant, sunshine, or whatever. Call me Myra. Bitter. That's, ah. But listen to her, her retorts. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Listen to her perspective on God. She's got it all wrong. But this is what she's gushing out. I went out full. I had a husband, two sons, promises ahead of me. And the Lord has brought me home empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Folks, I want you to see what's missing. Okay? Don't forget. They left the house of bread, Bethlehem, to go to the garbage can on their own, even with two sickly puny boys, and never consulted the Lord. They leave the territory of, of, of Judah to go into a foreign country, pursuing their own will, and, a, and obviously against the will of God. And she's saying, it's all his fault. You don't see any evidence of Naomi saying, my goodness, if, if, if Elimelech and I could have just only known that we were leaving the will of God we were leaving the, the, plant, the land that God had promised that he would provide for us. We, we faltered in our faith. Had she cried out to God and said, Oh God, uh, we've sinned against you. I understand why we are dealing with these consequences and circumstances and come back and repent. Isn't it interesting that the mother Jewish matriarch who's grown up a Jew and known about God all her life she is, she is void of repentance, and yet this Moabite pagan girl has got it. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned with her from the country of Moab. You don't hear Naomi saying, God is so good. He's given me the most wonderful daughter-in-law. She is so faithful. She's so dedicated. She loves our God. She's willing to turn her back on Moab and paganism. And she wants to be a part of us. And, and she's so committed. And God, wonderful, because we left this land of Bethlehem. It was barren. There was a drought or a famine. And God, good, look, the barley harvest is here. That's what it says as that verse closes out. It says, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. <laughs> In God good. No, she totally missed it. But that's not the key there, folks. Don't get too caught up in Naomi. Because I want you to stay focused on Ruth. Because the beauty of what God is doing, the true blessing of God's activity, is not even the fruit in the fields it's the fruit that God is about to bear forth in the life 
of a former Moabite woman who realized the true God is the only God and he's the only way. God is, I don't want to spoil the outcome of the story because God is about to do some awesome things in this former Moabite lady by the name of Ruth. Listen, don't ever underestimate what God is up to in your life or the lives of your children and grandchildren. I mean, you know, you might be ready to write them off. God says, no, 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 no. You don't understand the potential that's in them. Some of the hardest people you know that maybe just, just get on your nerves to the nth degree. Listen, don't write them off too fast. Because there's potential in them if God chooses them. God has great potential here. Far beyond what Naomi could ever have imagined. Far beyond anything that any citizen of the land of Judah, any Israelite could have ever imagined. And it came back to Bethlehem. Kind of makes you think about this Christmas story. Came back to Bethlehem to be born right there in front of them. Praise God. Let's pray.